and we'll just ask God now for his blessing on, the, uh, on his word to us. Heavenly Father, we uh, acknowledge this morning again that you are here amongst us. We want to thank you for your presence with us. We want to thank you for your word this morning, Lord, that it is indeed your word to us, a word that, Lord, has been inspired by you, breathed out by you, using the human authors through which it was written. But we can take great confidence this morning knowing that uh, this are uh, your very words to us, your scriptures, words that bring life if heeded and obeyed. So Lord, we pray this morning that uh, we might know that life, that we might uh, be obedient to what your word speaks to us today. And Lord, we might experience more of that life in us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be speaking about uh, the advancing church in, uh, in Acts chapter 4. And look, I'm no gardener. Okay, some of you, particularly my family, will know that I am no gardener for all. In fact, I, my thumbs are probably more black than green. But one thing I do know about gardening, though, is that uh, if you want something to grow well, if you want it to thrive, then it needs to have the optimum conditions. It needs to have excellent conditions. The right amount of sun, for instance, for a plant, the right amount of sun, the right amount of water, the right amount of nutrients, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the lovely fertile kind of soil that it needs. And I guess you would think that with anything when it comes to uh, you know, any, wanting anything to grow, that you would want to provide the best conditions in order, for it to, in order to promote growth. We spoke this morning about, uh, you know, about Chloe and we want uh, you know, God to help Brian and Annalisa provide you know, that right, loving, godly Christian home in which she can thrive and nourish and be instructed in the wisdom and, and, uh, and nurture of the Lord. So we want those optimum conditions. And it's interesting this morning, as we look at this passage, that when it comes to the church, the best conditions to foster growth don't necessarily equate with that which is easy and comfortable. That's an interesting point to, uh, to ponder. It's interesting that the book of Acts you know, describes for us the growth of the early church, beginning in Jerusalem. Okay, so I'll just use the point here. Jerusalem is, is down here. And over a period of, uh, of a very, very short sp space of time, the gospel spread right the way throughout Asia Minor here, which is Turkey, and across through Greece, and all the way over to, uh, to Rome and beyond. The, uh, the, but uh, we shouldn't be surprised at that, because Jesus actually himself said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that, uh, that his disciples would be equipped by the Holy Spirit in order to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and to Samaria, and then ultimately to the outermost parts of the earth. Jesus predicted that this indeed would happen, that he would make sure that through the power of his Spirit this would be the, uh, the spread of the gospel. Uh, but in this book, as, uh, we, we, in, the, in this book of Acts, what we discover is that although the church grew very, very rapidly, it, uh, there were some key ingredients that, uh, that we need to, uh, to heed to find out what contributed to its growth. And, and these kind of ingredients are summed up for us here really, really well in Acts chapter 4, the passage that Janine uh, read to us this morning. And the first thing we learned this morning is that the church advanced or that the church grew through opposition. Okay, verses 1 to 3 of our passage this morning. The church grew through opposition. And as they, they're speaking, uh, as uh, Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, uh, sorry, and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. 
greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Here are Peter and John in the temple precincts. And they had just healed this crippled man, as Bill described for us in the children's talk this morning. They had healed this crippled man by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there was an incredible commotion that was taking place there in the temple, in the precincts of the temple at that time. And you can imagine that, uh, that, that there would have been a, a quite a lot of people at that particular time. It was the time of prayer, the time of the, the sacrifice in the afternoon. And uh, there would have been a lot of people going to the temple. They would have seen this man regularly seated there at the, at the beautiful gate of Jerusalem, sitting, uh, being laid there begging for money, begging for arms so that he could at least get some money to help him you know, to, to survive, to have that food and, uh, and whatever else that he, that he might need. He was really relying upon the generosity of the people who were passing by. And as Bill said to us in the children's talk this morning, as uh, Peter and John approached him, you know, he, they didn't have any money to give him, but what they did have to give him was something far much greater, far much richer than, uh, than money, and that was that they were able to heal him by the power of Jesus Christ. Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so this man then was, was healed and he starts, he actually gets up from his mat and he starts jumping around and praising God. And I, I don't know if you, know, you, can, if you can imagine the fact that you know, you've, you've not been able to walk for your whole entire life. You're over 40 years old. Now I'm 50 something or other. Oh, I keep forgetting. There goes my memory. And Thanks, Judy. You're just getting a reminder at the back there. 52. Okay. <laughs> um, now I've lost my point and lost my place. <laughs> Can you imagine that not being able to walk for your whole entire life, being completely dependent upon others around you to do everything for you, to carry you to places, to carry you to the temple. Can you imagine the shame that sort of kind of went along with that? Having to, to be at the temple there every day, begging for, for money in order to survive. Just asking for people for, for, for just a, a few coins. The shame that went along with that. The, 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 the loss of dignity in a person's life, having to beg day after day after day for their well-being. Think about that for a moment. And then for someone to come along and miraculously heal you in the name of Jesus, healed so much that the legs became strong instantaneously. That was the kind of healing we're talking about here. Now, sometimes when people have, have, have had that, that kind of not been able to walk for a while, they've been uh, laid up for, you know, in hospital or something like that, it takes time for them to learn to walk again, to actually get that strength and everything back in their legs. But we, we're told here that this man was healed so incredibly and so fully, so completely by Jesus Christ, that he was able to get up from his mat immediately and start walking and jumping around and praising God for this wonderful miracle that, that, that has now completely changed and transformed his life, has now actually opened up his life to incredible possibilities that he no longer is going to have to rely on, on all of these people for, for bringing him to the temple. He's no longer going to have to rely on, on people giving him money. He's now got his dignity back. He's now got a sense of, of self-worth and self-esteem back. His whole life has been changed and transformed. 
That's the kind of healing and kind of impact we're talking about here in this man's life. No wonder he jumps around and he praises God. He's so excited. And wouldn't we be? Wouldn't we be so excited by that? And the people are amazed because they've seen this man day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, there at the temple gates begging, and then all of a sudden, here he is jumping around and praising God. And they are just over, they're just astonished, amazed at what has taken place. And so the people are all gathering around to see, you know, what's going on? By what, 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 what power has this been done? And of course the, the, the priests and the, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees who were there in the temple hear what this commotion and they hear Peter saying to the people that this man has been healed in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now these, these people, these religious authorities thought that they had finally done away with Jesus when they crucified him. They thought that, that finally this, this burn in our side, this, this thorn in our flesh, this, this person who had just been upsetting the, the whole status quo, that had been undermining their authority and their position, we'd finally gotten rid of him, we'd killed him on a cross and he's long gone dead and buried. And now we've got these people who are, who are here now bringing Jesus back up again and starting to proclaim that Jesus is indeed alive and he's, and he's healing people. And they're annoyed. It says greatly annoyed here, but these guys are really, really cheesed off. They are angry and furious that Peter and John are proclaiming this message of Jesus Christ. And so they come and they arrest them. They need to get them out of the people's eyes you know, as, as quick as they possibly can. They come and they arrest them and they put them in jail. Now, I want to ask you this question. If you were someone in the crowd that had been witnessing this, that had been witnessing this incredible miracle of Jesus, but that you had also witnessed that, that, he, that, that as Peter and John had been proclaiming Jesus Christ and, and calling people to faith in him, that they were then being carted off, being hauled away to prison by the temple guard and by the religious leaders, those in authority, those with the power, those who had the power to, to, to detain and to withhold and to punish, would you want to stick your hand up and say, hey, I'm with them? Would you want to do that? I don't think I would. And yet what do we read in the passage here which says that in verse 4, that but many of those who had heard the word, heard the message of Jesus Christ, believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. So here we see Peter and John arrested, but in the midst of that arrest, in the midst of that opposition to the message of Jesus Christ, 5,000 people became followers of Jesus. 5,000 people. Despite the imminent threat of persecution, these people had chosen to become disciples of Jesus Christ. We see this back then. We see it actually happening through history and we even see it happening today. Let me just name for you some countries. Iran, Iraq, North Korea, China, Afghanistan, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Libya, Yemen and Somalia. 
All these countries appear on the on the, the, the top 50 list in the world of countries who actually enact severe persecution of Christians in their countries. In fact, seven of those countries I mentioned actually are in the top 10. The top 10 countries, seven of the top 10 countries in the world where the, the, the opposition and the persecution of Christians is the most severe. What you might find surprising to hear is this, is that many of these countries, in fact all of these countries I just mentioned, actually also appear on the list of countries where evangelical Christianity is growing the fastest. Find that surprising? All of those countries appear on the same list of countries where evangelical Christianity is growing the fastest. Despite incredible opposition, despite horrific persecution, many people are choosing to become followers of Jesus Christ. And yes, some are being arrested and jailed like Peter and John. Some are being fired from their jobs. Some are being forced out of their local communities. They're having their houses burned to the ground and literally driven out of their local communities. Some are being disowned by their own families. The ones who had raised them and who they thought had that, they had that secure environment of love when they come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, their family says, we don't know you anymore, we don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, we hate you. And some are even losing their very lives for Jesus Christ. Yet this does not stop people from coming to faith. It doesn't stop people from coming to faith in Jesus. In fact, it's having the reverse effect. It's having the opposite effect. God's church often grows the most in the midst of a hostile environment. But sadly, the opposite is also true that many of the countries would have, that have called themselves Christian for centuries, it is in those very countries where, in fact, Christianity is in incredible decline. People coming to faith in Jesus Christ is in decline, but it's actually going backwards. Here in Australia at the moment, we're kind of just holding our own. It's just kind of like we're, we're just keeping a, a fairly level line. But I'm sure that in the not too distant future we're going to see that line slowly continue to decrease as the opposition and as the persecution comes towards Christians. If we're serious about living our lives for Christ, then we need to expect opposition. Jesus himself said that in John 15 verses 18 to 19. Jesus says to his disciples, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. In other words, if you believed all the world's philosophies and went along with all of their value system and that sort of stuff, then it would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because you have a, a different kind of, 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 of value system, a different moral standard, because you claim the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, he says, it will hate you. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you, he says, sorry, the world will love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, it hates you. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I chose you out of the world. Jesus chose us out of the world, and the world is going to hate us if we, if we associate with Jesus. You can count on it, you can bank on it. And folks, I don't know if I can, if, 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 if you hear me this morning, but as believers in our country today, 
it is only going to get harder and harder and harder to be a Christian, to actually stand up for Jesus and for the Word of God, for the Bible as the authority of God in our society. It is only going to get harder and harder and harder. And you better be ready. You had better be ready because it's coming. It's starting and it is coming and it's going to get greater and greater and greater. And I'm sad to say that even here in this number of people amongst us this morning, there are going to be those who fall away from the faith because of persecution, because of opposition. And we need to be praying for one another. And I mean desperately praying for one another. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to be spurring each other on. We need to be standing shoulder to shoulder, side by side with one another so that we will indeed not fall away. And so that means as a community of the people of God here in this place, we've got to come together. And we've got to come together in a way that, that, that we haven't come together before. And we've got to love one another in a way that we haven't loved each other before. And we've got to unite together. And we've got to practice grace and forgiveness. And we've got to be a, a community of believers that truly show that there is indeed a God who is real in this world, a God who is at work in people's lives. We've got to show in our lives that power of the gospel which changes and transforms people. The comfort we have is found in John 16.33 where it says, I have said these things to you, Jesus says, that in me you may have peace. We won't have peace in the world. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We, if we belong to Jesus, can find a peace and a comfort and an assurance in him that his plans are being worked out and that we are indeed secure in him. And although this world might treat us harshly and it even might take our lives, we have that confidence of knowing that we belong to Jesus Christ and that he has overcome it and we will be with him forever. That is the assurance and the hope that we have as believers in Jesus. Now we might not like a facing opposition for our faith, but folks, it is in this kind of environment that our witness can, be, have, can have the most greatest and most effective impact for Jesus Christ in the midst of a hostile world. It is in this kind of environment that we have to rely more deeply on Jesus and recognise that the opposition and the persecution can indeed, God can use that in order to refine us and to make us more Christ-like. God can use even the worst of men in order to accomplish his purposes in us as his children to make us more Christ-like. He will use that opposition, folks, to sift the wheat and the chaff. He will use that opposition to purify his church. And we, as his people, we need to cling closely to him that we might come through it victorious, confident, bold and stronger in our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, more like him. So the church advances through opposition. That's the longest part of the message, by the way, Okay, so you can breathe a sigh of relief. All the other points aren't as long as that. Okay? But the church also advanced through a clear presentation of the uniqueness of Jesus. 
Peter and John boldly and courageously spoke about Jesus Christ. They pointed out to the religious leaders of the day that the person truly responsible for the healing of the crippled man was Jesus. Verse 10 of our passage says this, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, It is by him that this man stands before you well. Here is Peter and John. They're speaking with this wonderful evangelistic passion. This wonderful, you know, bold and confidence and courage given to them by the Holy Spirit there in the the Jewish religious council before the authorities, before the religious authorities, those powerful people of their day, and they confidently proclaim that it is by Jesus Christ. And Peter points out to them very, four very, very significant truths. He points out, first of all, he said, that you, they, crucified Jesus. Now, I don't know, when, I'm, when I perhaps have to stand before a, um, a person in authority over me, and whether it be someone who's an authority in terms of the community, like a policeman or someone like that, or whether it's a person of authority in terms of like the Baptist Union because I'm accountable to, to the Baptist denomination and things like that as a pastor. But when I you know, have to appear before an authority, I am not going to poke the bear. And I'm sure that you're the same. You are not going to try to aggravate and annoy them by being accusative towards them. And yet, Peter and John confidently and boldly stand up and say, you know what? We're talking about Jesus. Yes, the same Jesus whom you crucified. Ouch! But listen, God raised him from the dead. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. In other words, God has reversed your verdict. Your verdict was that he wasn't that, that, that Jesus wasn't from God, that he was indeed just some, you know, some person who was empowered by the devil, who had his power from, from Satan himself. You crucified him, but God reversed your verdict on him by raising him from the dead. You came to the wrong conclusion, guys. You came to the wrong conclusion about Jesus. And yes, you rejected Jesus, but God made him the cornerstone. God made him the foundation of his new temple, the people of God. And that he is unique because there is no other salvation that is found in this world apart from the salvation that comes through him. Acts 4.12 There is no sal- there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If we want to have eternal life with God forever, then we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other means by which we can be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's the message that we as the church have. And folks, that is our only message. That is our only message. And it is good news for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. That is, eyes and ears of faith. But the sad reality is that people don't want to hear about Jesus. 
They do not want to know about Jesus. Instead, they want to shut him up. They want to shut the word of God up. They want to shut Christians up. People who proclaim Jesus Christ, who proclaim his word as the authority of God, we are the ones that the world is wanting to shut up because they don't want to know about Jesus. Because if they're confronted with the reality that in fact that they are sinners, accountable to God and that the God's wrath is actually going to come on them at one particular point in time when God chooses, that they don't want to know that because it's just too hard. They'll have to change their lives. They'll have to change their lives to conform to what God wants. And we're too busy being our own gods, living our own lives under our own authority, under our own demands, under our own wills and, and desires. And as we do that, we continually thumb our noses at God and say, we don't want to know you because we just want to go about our lives happily as we are. But the reality is, is that one day God is going to call us all accountable for that decision, for that very decision. Now as the world seeks to shut us up, sadly what is happening is that the Christians in this world are becoming less and less vocal, we're becoming more and more silent and the world is winning the battle particularly here in the West, particularly in these countries that I spoke about before where Christianity has been, you know, part and parcel of society for years because we've become complacent, because we've become very, very worldly, because we've chosen, we've seen the way the world is and we think, actually, that's a nice way to live. And so we try to balance God in one hand and the world in the other and compromise our ways, compromise our lives. And what happens is that the world will always win out when we compromise. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10... If Christians do not stand up and proclaim the word of God, then how will others hear? How will our world hear? How will your neighbours hear if you remain silent? How will your work colleagues hear if you remain silent? How will your, the people you, you mingle with in your sporting teams or your social clubs or whatever, how will they hear if you remain silent? The church advances through opposition and it advances with this present, the presentation of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. And we need to, have, to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. And David's going to be speaking on that tonight, so I encourage you to come along and hear that. Can you give a clear presentation of the gospel? As a follower of Jesus Christ, can you give a clear presentation of the gospel? You need to be able to. You need to be able to tell people the gospel in a very, very clear and concise way. Because you only have a very, very short time to do that. Thirdly, the church advances through living testimony. Verses 13 and 14 says this. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The Jewish religious leaders were confronted with this incredible boldness and confidence of Peter and John. They saw the conviction in their hearts. 
They heard the conviction in their voices and they, they saw the, the change and the transformation that had taken place in their lives and they had no answer. They were astonished. They noticed that they were uneducated men, common men. They were fishermen. And yet they can stand up here with this boldness and confidence to address the Jewish religious ruling council? How can they do that? Well, of course, it was by the Spirit of God. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. But can you just think for a minute who they're standing for? There's a couple of people who are actually singled out by name in this passage, okay? In verse 6. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas. Do you remember back to the story of Jesus' crucifixion who Annas and Caiaphas were? They were the chief instigators in making sure that Jesus was put to death on the cross. Here they are in this very room and Peter and John know that the same thing could happen to them. That they had the power in order to do exactly the same to them as they did with Jesus Christ. It's interesting, only a few weeks earlier, Peter, when he'd been confronted by the onlookers who had gathered at Jesus' trial, when he's there around the fire and you know in the in the early hours of the morning, and people had come to him and said, Hey, aren't you with this aren't you with this this, this Galilean, this Jesus? And he says, No, no, I'm not with him. It's not me. No, you got the wrong person. Three times in a matter of, of minutes, G- Peter denied Jesus three times. But now he was willing to accuse the religious leaders of murdering the Son of God. What changed? What changed in Peter? Well, I'll tell you what changed in Peter. He had a new and determined conviction of who Jesus was. He had a life-changing encounter with Jesus and he was filled by the Holy Spirit. And today, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, the same thing has happened to you. You might not believe it. You might not think it. In fact, you might have come to faith in a fairly sort of long kind of, um, you know, it's just, just been through a long process, but you've sort of come to a faith in Jesus. There's no been dramatic kind of conversion experience, but God has worked in your life and God has changed your understanding of him. God has changed your understanding of how you're called to live in light of his truth, in light of his word. God has changed you, he's transformed you, and he's put his Holy Spirit within you. You have been changed and transformed by God. You've got God living with inside you, the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Therefore, you can be as bold and courageous as Peter and John. You and I both. We don't need to be like Peter who keeps carrying back and saying, No, 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 I'm not with him. Which we do and it causes us incredible amounts of guilt and it tears us apart inside, doesn't it? When we know that we've denied Jesus, when we've, when we've recalled back from, from associating ourselves with Jesus and God's word, all it causes in us is, 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 is a, a sense of shame and a sense of failure and a sense of hopelessness. I don't know about you, but I don't want to feel like that anymore. Do you want to feel like that anymore? We don't have to because we've got the Holy Spirit living within us and God will give us the confidence and the courage and the boldness to speak up for him. 
Well, not only was Peter in John's testimony, but also, you know, the man, the healed man, his testimony was, in, was, was a powerful witness to the religious leaders. When confronted with the evidence right there before them, they had nothing to say. And when people are confronted with that same kind of evidence in our lives, when they see the change in us, when they see the power of the Holy Spirit and, 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 the, light and the, uh, the light of Christ shining within us and exuding from us, they'll have nothing to say. They won't be able to deny it. I wonder if when people come into contact with you, is the difference that Jesus makes in your life visible? Is it visible? Finally, the church advanced to an absolute conviction that God must be obeyed. I think I've got this right. There we go. Verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered, and this is after the uh, religious leaders have, have called them in and said for them not to speak or to teach anyone at all in the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter and John answered them and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John, they, they had no choice. They had no choice but to obey God rather than men when it came to speaking about Jesus. And the fact that Jesus had brought about this incredible change in their life, they couldn't hold it in. They could not hold it in. They just had to speak about it. It was as though their mouths could not be shut when it came to speaking. And John testifies to this in his first letter to the church where he says, That which was from the beginning, speaking about Jesus, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we've seen it, and we testify it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, Jesus, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. If you want to sum up the, 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 the whole message of the church, the context of, the, of our purpose and our mission as a church, you cannot get it any more succinct than John, 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. Because we have heard... Through the word of God, we have seen with our eyes the change and the transformation that Jesus has made in our own lives and in the lives of others. We have looked upon him in the faces and the lives of others. We may not have touched him with our hands, but we've got the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. And we are called, in terms of when we've seen it, to testify to Jesus, to proclaim him to you, to others, in order that they too might have fellowship with us and indeed with the Father and with his Son Jesus. You can't summarize it any clearer than that, folks. Jesus has given us our marching orders. Go, he says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. doesn't come across in that particular language but in the original language this is a command it is an imperative a command of Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour the one who is king the one who reigns over all it is his command to his church go and make disciples are we obeying him are you obeying Jesus Christ in your life
Am I obeying Jesus in my life? Folks, let me tell you, there are times where I don't. But we've all got to come together and we've got to say, you know what, we're going to urge each other on to be the people God wants us to be, aren't we? That's what we're here for. We don't just come here on a Sunday just to sit here, sing some nice songs, hear a message, have a little bit of social chit-chat and that sort of thing and then go out and live our lives as though nothing ever happened on Sunday. That's not what the church is. The church is the family of God on the mission of God. And we've got to be that people. So how can we make a difference in our society, our community? Well, let's point out just a few quick ways. First of all, we need to have a clear conviction that Jesus is the only way for people to be saved. We need to have that conviction in our hearts. Secondly, we mustn't be stopped by opposition, but instead we need to see that opposition as an opportunity for God's Spirit to work in the midst of. Thirdly, we need to be prepared to be a witness to what God has done in our own lives. To say to people that, you know, the, the difference that he has made in your and my life. We need to be excited about what Jesus has done for us and for others. To allow that to get to be excited about. Not that the Broncos won on Friday night or the Lions, you know, well, we can't say the Lions won, but anyway, sorry to the AFL Lions supporters. But to be excited about Jesus. To be excited about our faith. To be excited about being part of his family and that we're going to be experiencing eternal life with him forever and ever and ever. We need to pray, folks. We need to be people that are on our knees. We need to be praying that God will take our witness and that of others and use it to open the hearts of people to his truth. It is going to be a powerful work of the Spirit of God. As we work in conjunction with him, we need to be praying. And we need to pray that God will create in the hearts of those around about us a desire for himself. We need to be people who... who I'm, I'm, I'm serious, folks. We really need to be praying earnestly and fervently about this. If we truly want to see the God do incredible things in our lives, in the lives of people in our community, then we have got to, to commit to being people who pray. Praying in our homes, to, alone, together with our families, with, our, you know, with, with others in the church and collectively as a church. We need to be praying earnestly and fervently that God's Spirit will work in us, will give us this boldness and this confidence. It's interesting that after this particular account, what happens as you read further on in Acts chapter 4 is that Peter and John go back to the church and they're rejoicing that they've been counted a privilege to suffer persecution in the name of Jesus Christ and they come together and they, and they have a prayer meeting and they pray to God, they say, God, you know, you know all the threats and that sort of thing that these people are bringing against you. You know the opposition that's coming against you in your church, but give us boldness, give us confidence, give us courage to speak your word. And you know what happened? God's spirit shook that place. It shook the very place where they were having this prayer meeting. And God is, is going to shake this place if we will be people who are committed to being, you know, to committing to follow the example of Peter and John in this passage. I know about you, but I want to see God shake this place, don't you? I want to see God shake people's lives. I want to see people, I want to see God shake this community. But it's only going to happen as we confidently and boldly come to God in prayer and as we go out and we bind in, in the power of the Spirit and with the confidence that Jesus gives us to be people who proclaim that name.
Isn't that something to get worked up about? Hey, let's pray. Father God, this morning we want to thank you for your message to us. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are indeed the God of the universe, the one who holds all things in his hand, the one who is working out his plans and purposes. And yes, Lord, the world and the kings of this world, the rulers, the authorities of this world are are aligned against you and against your people. And we are in indeed a spiritual battle. But praise be to God that you are the one who is the victor. That you are the one who is going to bring about a decisive victory over all of these things. But that your heart is for people first to come to know you. To come to experience the the life that, that Jesus alone can offer. That eternal life. And you've called us to be your witnesses. So help us to Lord, be, be people who, who pray to be people who are willing to put ourselves in your hands and to step out in faith and to be used by you in wonderful and powerful ways. Lord, help us to put our trust and our hope and our confidence in you and you alone. And Lord, as we go out and live lives, as we do speak boldly and confidently, as we, as we receive opposition, as we receive persecution, help us to know that that. Lord, you're with us in the midst of that and they hated you first before they hated us. But that we are secure in you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.